All right. Welcome to our weekly live broadcast. My name is Johannes Freiman. I'm a trainer with uh, deep dives with uh, developer analytics and machine learning background. And with me, I've got me. Hi there. We could again um, kind of just do the quick intro into weather. Um, it's cold over here right now. It's like 14 degrees centigrade. That's nothing. It's minus 10 here in Helsinki, Finland. Beautiful sunny weather, lots of snow, but nice and nice and clear sky. I'm already considering taking a coat. <laughs> I, 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 I don't have one, or I only use the road. Right? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Um, all right, and then we, we we kind of went into the the bin of topics for for the show um, and picked out DevOps. Um, now, in this show, the idea is to talk about DevOps on a fairly high level um, for people that might just have heard about it, might not kind of see the full picture. Um, and then most likely, we will be going deeper into uh, different subtopics in future um, episodes. And, uh, you know, I guess it's fair to say that this is probably our most um, or, or the topic that we're giving most instruction on, like yep. uh, DevOps or roughly related um, stuff. Um, and, and, and so there's a reason for that as well. It's important. Uh, or, well, is it because we're so good in it? It's because DevOps is needed nowadays. It's essential. Ah, okay. So um, uh, just a little bit about the history. I've picked the. The Wikipedia um, uh, page here, and um, it kind of uh, goes back to to the 80s and 90s with regards to combining software development methodologies with deployment and operations. But actually, do you remember that in the late 90s, early 2000s, we, we kind of did DevOps type of stuff, but um, uh, we named it something different? I remember all kinds of things from the early days, but I'm not sure what you're referring to. For example, Waterfall or XP. something else? No, for example, XP. For oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Programming. Extreme program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some, for some reason, I'm thinking about rational rows here. Yeah, that was the design. Cool. Um, so the rational unified process, RUP, yeah, yeah. RUP. Was, was used to bring together the design and uh, implementation phases, kind of similarly as what we're doing with uh, development and operations here. Um, so in that way, I like, like for me personally, like as a developer and people who think about how to develop, um, this is a, a longer journey right we've, we've always been on the verge of, of trying out new stuff and now we just call it devops right and and, and devops what is cool what, what what i like about devops is um that devops is not one thing it's not like xp which was basically you know one book that was written 
uh, back in the days, or um, it's not the rational unified process, which is a process by a single company, but rather is that this kind of fairly loose collection of uh, philosophies and methodologies. And there is no like DevOps incorporated that tells you that this is DevOps and, and this thing is not. <laughs> so we can kind of say that DevOps um, is a collection of the kind of ideas that we use nowadays to create and, and uh, deploy modern software. And with that comes usually your favorite part about DevOps, which is that not all of these best practices or, or um, philosophies work with all kinds of organizations. Exactly. So a, a lot of these come from the very big software development houses. Um, like Netflix or <coughs> Amazon or, or Microsoft, where you're going to have tens of thousands of developers working on, on a huge amount of products. Um, and then, of course, that doesn't really scale to a three people and, and the dog type of <laughs> startup, right? So um, do you want to talk about that a bit? As it's your favorite. Um, yeah, well, I'm, uh, I've been working in lots of different kinds of projects, small ones, big ones, small clients, really big established uh, kind of institutions. And there is always a way of doing things. And it's a different way for each company. But not I've, I've never found a single way that would work in, in all those cases. And usually I'm not the one, of course, who decides what, what methodology we're going to use. It's already there. But mm, uh, the more flexible the, the, the framework is, the, the easier it is to find the, the how should I say, it's the, the easier it is to find the, the way that really works well with that particular Case. let's say if it's, it's a bank or it's just a two-man show yeah I, I kinda... uh, but, but with but with devops the the underlying the principles that why we do this is let's say the, the one of the core principles is that you you don't do manually things mm -hmm. and that applies to all of those pro uh, different kinds of projects small ones and big ones I would say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I, the way that I present it usually is that um, when we're doing DevOps trainings is that we, we, we kind of present this bag of tricks, uh, but then it's up to you to decide which one of those actually fit into okay. whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and then maybe use one of those tricks, uh, which is this, this experimentation um, oriented uh, um, um, kind of feeling so that, that you're ready to experiment with new things and then you measure them and then you see whether they made sense or not, right? So, so you, you can use some of the uh, technologies with, uh, that, that come with DevOps um, just, just once and try it out and then see whether it works or, or, or it doesn't. And don't kind of take everything as granted and then try to go somehow by the book that, that's absolutely kind of against the principles themselves. 
But yeah, let's let's kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah. Larger organizations are usually very inflexible, so it takes time to um, learn a new trick. Let's put it that way. And yeah, but it, and... it, it, it depends. It really depends, and that's that kind of the nice thing about modern software development. That a lot of these really, really um, high velocity environments uh, push. Uh, or, or high-velocity high requirements uh, push these large organizations closer to the edge of the... Uh, let's say Netflix. Netflix is a huge company, a huge organization, and they're right there on the bleeding edge of, of DevOps because they have to be. It's kind of how they survive, right? So, so it's not necessarily the size. It's more of a kind of a philosophy. Or maybe it's the age. Right, the, the older an organization is, the more kind of technical debt and philosophy debt they have, and the harder it is to to, to change the direction of uh, what they do. The the thing is that if you if you have a way of working and it kind of works, then it's for those organizations it's hard to just change because it, you you already have a way of working that that kind of works. And, and if if you are very inflexible as an organization and maybe as as people or person, then it's it's hard to change. But yeah. when they do when they do change, then hopefully rapidly they realize that hey, okay, th there is a new way or a, a better way of doing things. But the core core of of doing, for example, if if you are uh, creating software, you still have to write the software and. And the, the core of writing the software, well, actually, that changes a little bit as well. You might mm -hmm. be more, you might be more uh, testing oriented afterwards, because that increases quality and that actually speeds up things. Even though it looks in the beginning that hey, this this is going to slow us down because we are writing tests, automated tests. Yeah. So, so one thing that I just talked about is velocity. Um, let's see if we have a Wikipedia page on that. Velocity in software, yeah. So, so this is um, starting to be one of the most important metrics um, when when thinking about how successful a uh, software development department or or actually even a software product department is. Uh, what what what's your um, idea with velocity? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean by that, by that question. So how, how what I we're see doing it. with velocity is we're, we're measuring how long it takes. Basically, we can do it in different ways, but like basically from an idea of creating a feature in the software to it actually being deployed uh, in the production environment. That's velocity, right? So the more velocity we have, the quicker we can we can make this happen. Um, from from, of course, from my point of view, a... hmm? from my point of view, the velocity has never been uh, as itself a, a very very important metric. Maybe I'm lucky with with the clients that I've been working with that velocity is it, it has never been a thing that we try to increase. We we try to increase or try to increase quality, for example. 
But, but exactly, yeah. So, but but there are different kinds of organization. Maybe you need really need to have a new feature in production in in two weeks or one week or or half a day. But I, I personally have been maybe I've been lucky that I I haven't been uh, working with organizations where the velocity is the key thing. It's more yeah. about so, so this, writing business yeah. logic that that works without any bugs and everything like that. Yeah, exactly. So, so this is kind of velocity is kind of what we are looking at, uh, specifically in, in in startups, right? So, so if we are in a dynamic business situation, um, we are we have been seeing that usually the the, the company or the service that comes out first with a new feature will get more traction, right? So, so it, bigger market share is kind of. <laughs> it's kind of a second uh, off the secondary. Right? Yeah, yeah. We need to get a feature out first to to gain traction, um, and then we worry about quality later. So so uh, so so that's kind of usually the, the places where we are optimizing for velocity um, itself. And and of course, velocity is something that we get through this kind of automation. Right? So so it's okay through DevOps, and this is kind of. That's why I wanted to bring it up because this is not clear for everyone. If you are in a, I don't know, a really important security backend system, then you don't care about velocity. You care about security and quality. Yep, exactly. Right. So, so very often when we're talking about these metrics, they as well depend on the organization that you're in. So, so you should pay attention what it is that you want to optimize and then just not blindly follow some some uh, best practices and, and, and there are some other if yeah. you compare velocity from an, uh, a company to uh, a company then maybe that metric is not even you cannot compare the, the velocities uh, it, it's a bit difficult if, if you have a feature for one company that they need to be get into production then you have a different kind of a company with completely different software, and they need to get a different feature. Maybe the feature is named the same, but it's completely different. Uh, it, so it, maybe inside, yeah, we, we don't, it's we don't easier. do cross comparison. No. Yeah, it's easier it's like, within a company to to measure the velocity yeah. and see if you're doing things faster. Or, or yeah, and, and the actual number doesn't mean anything, but that's something that you exactly. want to optimize. That's what I meant. Yeah, perfect. So there are other metrics here. Um, Especially with Dora, Dora is a DevOps uh, research association, I think. Anyway, it, it used to be run by Google. Nowadays, it's uh, its, its own uh, independent organization that tries to research uh, DevOps, and they have different kinds of metrics um, as well. So, so throughput, deployment frequency, lead time for changes—that kind of approximates uh, the velocity in, in, in somehow. And then they also have stability. Um, so, so mean time to recover and a change failure rate, which which are more kind of proxies for quality. On, on the other hand, so so that kind of idea of yours that is actually part of the official um, DevOps, DevOps research, um, but that th these are not perfect either, right? So, so already in this Wikipedia page, we can see that there is uh, in a criticism about that. And we, it, it's a moving field. We we, we don't know. <laughs> we don't have absolute truths <laughs> about this stuff 
yet. Um, a little bit more about the background. So, so a lot of this comes from Agile um, as well. So, so, so we're kind of presuming when we're talking about DevOps that we are working with an Agile software development uh, process. Um, other stuff that is related is uh, the automation of uh, the build process as well as uh, possible deployment into both testing and possibly production environments. So, so then we use what is called the CI/CD pipeline for that automation. Um, lean thinking as well. That's kind of uh, this kind of continuous improvement idea that we're making small changes very often instead of these. My favorite example is, is uh, Microsoft. Remember Microsoft Word back back when it wasn't online yet. There was like it was Word ninety seven. And then came Word 98, right? They had like one version per year, which was already quite fast back then, right? So, so that was great. And then nowadays, like we, we, we deploy stuff on an almost daily basis. So we basically have a different version of Word available every single day. But, but it's also, in, in that case, when you say once per year, there was a reason for that as well. You first of all different processes, but also the way software was distributed. You couldn't just uh, send out new version to 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 people every day. You you didn't have internet which you used to that which you, you can use to download patches to your software. So that yeah, has changed as or, well. Or, or then you did right. So like uh, Windows ninety five was like well known for for for, for not being complete piece of software at all. But then literally, you know, once you have the CD and you have installed it, <laughs> then the next thing you need to do is download everything again over the internet. So yeah. that you get an update operating system. Nowadays we're maybe more used to that <coughs> incremental. Like hey, literally... I have a question. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, about CI C D pipelines. Do you remember because uh, if if someone is relatively new to the to this field, then and, and you're working with with your uh, clients or your, your organization, you have a CI/CD pipeline of sorts. But uh, Johannes, you probably remember that we didn't have those at all in the in the early days. No, Everything so, was done manually. Yes. So literally, so... every single time you install something into production, somebody built the the software. On their own computer manually, and then maybe maybe the same person had uh, uh, permissions to to upload this uh, new version to the production server and and install it everything manually. Yeah. So so that, and that's, that's one of the reasons why what, what we wanted to get away from uh, it, it was ridiculously complex and error prone. Uh, I, I totally remember that. So first of all, we used Notepad or like Notepad plus plus to to do the, the the code editing, right? So so no syntax checking, nothing like that. You had to write it correctly. No autocomplete, blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had um, the Java compiler. Talking about Java, because I guess that's what you're referring to here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in this case, yes. The Java compiler didn't do recursive compilation over subtype. So in case you use packages, um, what we had was one batch file on Windows. 
that would go into each of the directories and then run the Java compiler. I have forgotten so, all of that. <laughs> so, so whenever you created a new package, you actually have to go back to that batch yeah. file and add it in so that that package would get compiled as well. Um, so, so it was, yeah, horrible. And then the compile times, like uh, computers were still kind of working on steam back then before electricity was actually invented. And uh, <laughs> it was like really, really slow to compile. Um, so people came out with uh, faster compilers. I remember the, the IBM Java compiler coming out. Um, that would be a lot faster than the, the, the original Sun one. Let me see if I can remember. Was it the, uh, was Jikes? And one of the challenges was that if if a person yeah. does this, uh, prepares a package for the for the production, and then next day someone else does that on their own computer, they might build yeah. it differently, and that's one of the, the horrible things that that you had. Yeah. Uh, that... So 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 kind of the problem was that that of course that we would have some kind of a version control system in place. Yes, at some point, but I remember starting and we didn't have any of those either. Yeah. So then you would basically need to agree between developers uh, what everybody would be working on. Yeah. And even if you would have a version control system, it would be a centralized version control system, right? Which is lock-based. So you're basically um, locking certain files, not allowing other developers to edit them while you are working on them. And then once you're done, you're unlocking them again. So just can't. And it's not working. Very, very, very inefficient um, to work like that. And error. Yeah, it was and, and, and the CI/CD pipeline. And well, not magically. It's there's no magic in it, but it it solves the the manual part of things. But yeah, still, once we still started, you have to write the software, but but the the things that, and that's one actually one of the the things that regardless of your organization. And you, you will nowadays need a CI/CD pipeline in order to have repeatable packages so, so that you can repeat the process of building and deploying something into production. Exactly. To, to the point of like security. Like I said, so don't let anybody go into the production environment, only allow the CI/CD pipeline to deploy it, right? So that nobody can go past the, the official kind of way. And then you can build security into the pipeline itself. Uh, therefore, securing the production environment. But yeah, uh, maybe maybe going a little bit um, ahead uh, of ourselves here. But but yeah. So this once we started to get you know proper build file support for for, for Java um, with with Ant and stuff originally, um, then things started to become a little bit more um, automated, and there would be less um, problems. So, so like in the beginning. Um, literally, when you would compile something, it would fail because of typos in the code, right? Mm -hmm. Because we didn't have an IDE, so there could be a typo, and you wouldn't know that until you actually <laughs> try to compile it, um, and then it fails. You go look at the code again, and so on. So we got a long way um, from, from that kind of uh, uh, environment. The one thing that I also wanted to, to, to kind of, before we go deeper into these individual things, talk about is that, that it's, it's actually not about tools that much, 
it's, it's also about a philosophy or a culture as uh, saying in here. So, so and, uh, and kind of the key issue here is um, to take responsibility, full responsibility of the software, <laughs> right? So, so traditionally there would be this kind of handoff phase um, where developers would start off by developing some software and then testing it on their own machine, most likely, um, and then somehow handing it off to the operations people who would live in the basement and uh, work on the <laughs> production <laughs> environments. And, and that one of the things that, that was kind of interesting, because we, we happened to have um, been working with Java when it became a real backend language, right? So um, we would actually have Java software, and then we have ops people who don't know what to do with it. They're like, literally, so, okay, so you gave me this jar file. So what do I do? So how do I run it, right? And, and then that led to us, the developers, telling the operations people how they should do their job. And that's not a good idea, right? Because they are talking, they, they use certainly different tools to do things than, than what we do. And we literally run our, our tests in the foreground, and then they're supposed to you know, probably run it as a, as a service somewhere. So um, that, that kind of brought a, a lot of trouble to the, to the table. And then there would be this, this total lack of responsibility. Like the developers would be like, oh, we are not in the production environment. It's our problem if things don't work over there. And then the operations people would be like, well, this is some Java thing. Well, I've never seen this before, so I don't know how it works. And it's the developers who should, who should take care of that. And then basically, it's this hot potato that we're just throwing around, <laughs> and nobody is uh, accepting responsibility. And if things didn't work, then it's always someone else's fault. Exactly. And, and, and DevOps tries to change that by, by removing this barrier, by, by basically saying that if you write it, then you run it, right? So whatever you're writing, then it's your responsibility to actually run it in production as well. And this is now just one of those tricks that does, uh, you know, it gives more responsibility to people. It gives higher quality, it gives better response times in case of uh, errors. but Again, this you, you might have an organization where this is not possible, right? You, you might have a, I don't know, maybe you're running your stuff on a mini computer. You, you can't allow any developers into that environment, or there might be other uh, considerations that, that stop that. Or, or you're in a field which is highly regulated, like bank or, or some health, mm -hmm. healthcare industry. And, and then sometimes you, you do have, you, you, you cannot let the same people access production data, for example. Yeah. And if you are able to de uh, deploy something into production, it means that you, you probably could, or not probably, you could write a piece of soft software that downloads the, the production data. Yeah. And exactly. that's not okay in every case. It's, it's, there are, you know, domains where that, that shouldn't be done. Yeah. But yeah, so, so that's kind of an example of a, a basically a, a cultural or organizational change um, 
which might be difficult to get through in a, a very old organization, uh, but it's easy to start off with if you're in a new startup, because kind of there's no change required. We just do everything like this from day and, one. And here, I, I, I know from, from personal experience that this might be the, the cultural change might be the hard thing, not the, the technical details of, of, of starting to use a new tool or, or doing things a little bit differently from the like technical point of view, but from the organization point of view, that, that the changing of ways of doing things might be the hard part. And, and that's yeah, interesting because usually, well, in the past, you didn't change the way you do things. You just change the tooling and change the, those things. And that's, that, that was the easy part. Yeah, and it always had a, a limited effect on, on kind of just, just one person's job, right? <laughs> so you didn't have to have this kind of cross-organizational change. Um, so, so one of these cultural changes is uh, microservices. Um, just maybe a quick intro into microservices, and then we'll we'll handle this properly later. Um, like, what is the opposite of a microservice? Well, it is uh, a monolith, and maybe a good example of a monolith would be Microsoft Word or Chrome, whatever browser it is that you're using. It's it's a single piece of software, and um, basically. Whenever we deploy a new version of that software, the, the whole software gets <laughs> de deployed to you. So, so the, the, the individual modules that I'm sure exist within that software, they are, are tightly coupled to each other. Right? So, so there is no, no kind of standard um, high-level API to talk between them. There could be. Uh, different kinds of patterns exist for that, but in general, um, uh, we, are, we are dealing with the piece of software as one. And, and that, of course, brings problems to, to, to us. Um, just due to the, the size of that software, we need to, to run tests whenever a new version comes out, right? So we need to run the full suite of tests, even if we just make a single change somewhere. Uh, there's no way to, to, to only partially test a monolith, or could be, but traditionally it's not done. Um, and that big piece of software might be so big that there is no single developer that knows every part of it. There might be this you know, secluded part of the software that, that people are kind of whispering about. Saying, don't, don't go there. It's really difficult. Only, only John on, on the third floor knows how to work with that device. So, so nobody else is allowed to touch that. And that brings um, a lack of quality and a lack of velocity to the process. Right? Every, whenever you need to do an, a change where other modules are, when other modules are dependent on how your module works, in a big organization, you, you might need to send like a memo to all of the developers that, hey, we are going to change how this thing works. Please, everybody, make sure that your, your um, part, your code uh, is aware of that. And, and all of this slows down the, 
the, the kind of development process. Um, so microservices are the opposite. So, so they're uh, different parts of the software are totally independent and they talk via a, a standardized API, often even an HTTP API or, or RP, uh, gRPC if, if you need uh, more, more efficiency. Uh, and then we deploy the individual microservices, right? So, so if you're looking at the Amazon.com website or Netflix, um, there are thousands, tens of thousands of microservices that are producing that, that uh, experience for you. Uh, and you don't see or know if one of those microservices has been updated. And they're constantly being, being uh, updated. So, so that kind of gives more control to the developers of the individual microservices and it speeds up the, the velocity because now you only need to test the individual microservice. It's smaller, it's easier to deploy, so on. Um, however, where we're kind of um, masquerading the, the complexity of the system into these inter-microservice relationships that used to be easy to control because they were all a part of the same software. Uh, whereas now they're, they're, they're different uh, and they're talking HTTP to, a, to each other and it's so much more difficult to figure out where things are. You, you suddenly have a distributed system and, and figuring out what happens in a distributed system is not trivial. You, you need yeah, to have- Yeah, even replicating errors is like yeah. difficult. So, so, so uh, we are actually making, um, when we're moving, well, let's say if we would have the same system as a monolith versus a microservices-based uh, architecture, I'm going to tell you that the microservices-based architecture is going to be more complex. It's like, and I just kind of don't go there unless you need some of the benefits that come from, from microservices, like these kind of uh, uh, more velocity from the point of view of an individual microservice, individual scalability of on a microservice level or, or so on. So, so that's actually a good, good. That's a good principle of of not not changing things just because there's a new, new new way of doing things or or, or a new architecture that you could you could try. You you don't have to change your existing software if it, if it works. But if, for example, if you need the scalability, and your monolithic uh, approach doesn't give you that, then maybe microservices is uh, a solution for that, or maybe part of your your uh, application gets kind of uh, converted into microservices, not your whole application, but just parts of it. Yeah, we, we kind of used to have this already earlier, right? So, so back back in the days, um, we used to have a service-oriented architecture. Yeah. Um, there, the services were, were kind of bigger than what the current microservices idea is. They're more like domains. Kind of. So you could have um, like like a, if you're a e-commerce store, you could have a service with regard with regards to you know product stuff, and then a separate service with regards to uh, I don't know financials, right? Or ordering and bank transfers and all of that. So so the domain of each of the service was still quite huge, but it already kind of brought us into the world of distributed systems. Back then, we used really interesting stuff like. Uh, the uh, RME over IIOP, 
RMI over IFRP. So if you remember that remote method. Remote method invocation. Yeah, yeah, it, it was really complicated. Or C++ we used Coroba. Yeah. But but yeah, so so that's kind of the the. the and, and that's actually a good, good, good reminder that uh, different, uh, there are different ways of doing things. And when we're talking about the monolith, then actually we had several monoliths working together, mm. maybe, maybe like that. So you, didn't have, you, you don't have an organization that has one piece of software and everything is there, but you have lots of different kinds of larger software individual pieces of software that are, that they are working together that's so it's not that did we lose me you you understand what i mean so you you might um because I, actually the the way microservices is presented i think i've been Kind of seeing that for a very long time already, but still, maybe the the, the if you have a layered architecture, then the the front part is the monolithic part, and then the back end is that it's already split into microservices because with with uh, larger organizations you just have a ridiculous amount of, of uh, yeah. software. This is this is not black and white. So so I I always use. Clear examples exactly because of that. Something like Word, Microsoft Word, right? That's one piece of software, so it's a monolith. And then Amazon.com is tens of thousands of microservices, so it's microservices. Yeah. And then in reality, there are plenty of things that are in between. Lots of things in between. But it's more difficult. So I, I try try to use the kind of na naively the the, the yeah yeah yeah. The, the but hey, let's move on. We don't have that much time left. No. Uh, so yeah, that was back. We we're coming back to microservices later on, right? Okay, yeah, yeah um, definitely. So another very important cultural change that you you already brought up previously is is automation, and and by automating, uh, basically we mean the the whole um, CI/CD pipeline, including uh, as much testing as possible. Um, <clears throat> The, the reason why we want to do this automation is that, that it scales, right? So, so the, the more deployments we have, the more tests we need to run. So in an old way of doing software, you could have like manual tests, like you have a QA department that would literally click around in the software. I remember that, try yes. To, yeah, try to find bugs. But the problem is, of course, that that doesn't scale if you start to like deploy every day, right? Because there is literally not enough time. So it starts to make sense to invest into automation of testing because you're getting so many repetitions of those tests. And then if you can test your, your, your software well enough, then you can allow your pipeline to deploy into production automatically. So, so if you have the possibility to run tests in such a way that you, you can trust the pipeline, that no faulty software can get through the pipeline because your tests will catch it, <clears throat> then suddenly deployment into production is no longer a special event. 
There are no fanfare, fanfares going on anywhere in the office when you're deploying into production. It's just something that happens automatically. And then we get into these really fast cycles that literally, if you just do a single change into the uh, code space, you can immediately deploy that into, into the production environment. And that gives you that velocity that we've been uh, talking about uh, previously. And repeatability. You don't have manual yeah. processes there. Even, the, even if someone else controls the, the CICD, the, uh, the deployment part, which yeah. is, uh, that is one way of doing that. But even then, it is, this one person is not manually deploying anything. It's just uh, kind of, uh, approving that, yes, this package can be deployed and then it gets deployed automatically. Yeah, and then in this, the opposite of manual, manually doing things. Yeah, and in these tests, um, there can be so many things. Another thing that comes from this automation, of course, is that we are losing a little bit of visibility. Like in a traditional way, um, let's go a little bit forward from my notepad days <laughs> to, to uh, an environment where we would be, even have a, like a CI server. Like maybe a Jenkins server uh, in the corner of the office. Like usually it was like an old desktop that was kind of <laughs> moved to, to be the build server. Um, so, so what would happen is that you would start a release build or integration build um, uh, whenever you changed some code. And then it would run the tests, at least the unit tests for you. So what you would do as a developer is instead of kind of sitting there and waiting for it for, for, to work, is, is to kind of go over to the kitchen and maybe get a cup of coffee, uh, talk to some other developers. And then, you know, whatever time later, how long your build normally takes, you go back to your desk and see the results. Uh, let's say like 45 minutes later, right? Now, if I would come back 45 minutes later and that the build server would still be running, I would know that something has gone wrong. It's not supposed to take that long. So I can start to investigate. I can start to look at, you know, maybe I uh, imported a new package uh, by accident. Uh, maybe, maybe, you know, if I create a container, I, I used a new base image that it needs to download and it's huge, so it takes ages. Um, or, or other things. And when we're using a CI/CD pipeline in the cloud, we don't see that anymore. But we still have all of those metrics available to us um, from the systems, right? So all of these systems give you feedback um, into logs or, or into a metrics um, collector that you can then use to get back that visibility, right? So, so you have to build time. You don't need to know how much the build time is normally, but you want to see if it has dramatically changed from last time. Right? If your, your build time now is double what it was the last time, then something has happened. Yeah? Mm -hmm. might, might, might be intentional, but might also be by, by accident. Right? Or, or your build size. Right? Previously, your, your uh, build was 30 megabytes, and now it's 300 megabytes. Something has changed. If it's in the CI/CD pipeline, we don't see it. We never download that 
that binary. So we, don't, we, we can't see that it has changed, but the metrics will, will tell us that. So it's really important for us to kind of regain that visibility by setting up alarms with different kinds of metric system um, to kind of let us know that, hey, there's something weird going on now. And it might be that it's totally normal. Right? It might be that I, I added a new thing there, so I, I know that this is OK. But it might also give us info that maybe a hacker has injected some unwanted you know, dependencies into our code. Um, and now, now it's downloading half the internet and opening up vulnerabilities due to that. Uh, do, do you have anything else there on, on your mind? Uh, we're slightly running out of time here. I wanted to ask you about your future. What future? Think, yeah. What will happen in the future regarding DevOps? Do, do you do you already know that, uh, or do we know that that something is going to change? And I know that things will DevOps. change because it's it's, it's, it's the only moving. The only movement has changed, right? Yeah. So DevOps is is still new. We are still seeing uh, how these different technologies work with uh, different uh, situations. So, so one interesting thing here is the, uh, the, the state of DevOps um, report that comes from Dora. Um, it tries to like, listen to what the uh, trends of the year have been um, and, and what type of benefits uh, people get from DevOps. So we're talking about maturity from a DevOps perspective, kind of telling you how many of the DevOps principles you use and then how that affects your uh, different kinds of metrics, like, like how quality gets affected by having an automated CICD pipeline and that kind of thing. And that's something that I suggest that, that people that are interested in this stuff uh, start reading. So, so the, the, uh, it's available for free. Um, online, uh, you just need to register, if I um, remember correctly. Yeah, the state of DevOps report here, read the report. Yeah, you just need to, to fill in your information and then you can download it for free. And it, it, like, it's still moving at such a fast pace that um, it's really difficult to say what's the future is going to be like it's just going to be different but but things do change uh all the, the the past let's say software development processes there's always the new thing uh, and then this is the correct way of doing things or this is better than the previous one and and mm. even then a new one emerges but but mm. i think devops has brought a lot of uh, things that will not change that that soon like the automation and, and thinking the, the way of you, you think about the whole process. It's just not like a package, but it's it's a process of of uh, you putting some something into the version control system and then out goes something into the production. And this, the, the sequence of events, this used to be completely manual. And that has, I, I think we will not go back to the manual part unless something no, really special. Again, I would say that this is not like a thing that has happened overnight. Um, we just started to call 
things that we have done. We have done like software development development previously. We have taken a look at different kinds of processes. How, what good parts are there? What, what bad parts are there? And that was why, why we started with XP and so on. So it's, it's part of the same kind of tra trajectory. And this has, has been going on for, for decades already. And now we just happen to call that DevOps. So um, it's just kind of a collection of, of best practices. You might be already doing DevOps without realizing that you're doing DevOps. You most likely are, yeah. yeah. Right. But yeah, so, so uh, as we can see, <laughs> quite a lot to, to discuss uh, on this uh, topic. And uh, we are, of course, happy to go deeper uh, into any of the uh, kind of sub subjects <laughs> of, of the point. Uh, in case you happen to have um, a question or, or an idea of uh, what you would have liked us to discuss, please let us know in the comments. Uh, we're, we're happily taking, taking um, suggestions. And uh, we will be looking into most of the um, kind of technologies or best practices in, in DevOps in future um, episodes of this, this live stream. Um, I would call that an episode. What about you, Nico? You yep. want to add something? We or? agreed that we will not aim for an hour, but maybe more close to 45 minutes. Otherwise, we will just continue and continue. There are lots of... Yeah. This, this, yeah, this was supposed to be ready. like a high-level uh, yeah. look into DevOps, not going to, into the details. So let's call it an episode. Um, if you're interested, we are teaching DevOps fairly often. Um, we are currently investigating uh, in, in creating a uh, live online DevOps class, which most likely is going to be available during the summer of uh, 2024. Uh, if you're interested in, in being kind of a beta um, client for that, uh, do let us know, and uh, we will we will tell you once we get it. But yeah, that's it. Um, Thanks a lot for, 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 for me for uh, taking part uh, in this exercise of ours. Uh, thanks, Mikko, again, for asking a lot of good questions. And uh, see you next week. Till then. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.